It is good to see each of you. If you would be open your Bibles to Hebrews the third chapter, we'll look at a wonderful six verses out of the beginning of Hebrews the third chapter as we continue to think about the idea of family. And tonight especially we'll think about God's family and what God can build if we'll just be a part of His work. We want to thank John Jackson and John Kennedy and Phil uh, Wagner for preaching last Sunday. I understand that they did a tremendous job. Uh, We want to again mention, as we have this morning, that the campaign was such a great success. God blessed us so richly. And I'm reminded at times like that also of how great it is, the blessing that it is to be a part of this congregation. And let's make sure that we find our place to serve and that we're a part of fulfilling whatever our ability is and the opportunities that we have. And that becomes our responsibility. And let's make sure that we find our place in the body and let's give God our all. We also want to be prayerful. Friday, we have a group uh, out of our youth group that will be going and conducting a vacation Bible school in St. Louis. And this church is so excited to have the help. Uh, They, from the very first phone call, have been so thrilled with the opportunity that we're going to be able... Uh, to conduct a vacation Bible school for them. And we're thankful for Phil and the other adults that will be a part of that and the youth that will make that happen. And again, it's good to be a part of this congregation and many opportunities. All of us can be a part of that work in fervent prayer. Uh, We're not just talking about prayer because it's just a to-do list. It's something to check off. But surely we believe that prayer makes a difference. And let's make sure that we do what we can do to help that campaign be a success. And one of the things all of us can do is be prayerful. So try to be remembering to pray about that each day this week and then into next week as that's when the campaign will actually be taking place. Two fellas in a pickup truck drive up to a lumber yard. One goes out, walks up to the counter, and he says, I need some four-by-twos. person behind the counter kind of squinched his eyes, cocked his head over a little bit, and he says, don't you mean some two-by-fours? Guy kind of looks up at the sky and thinks for me. He says, hold on, I'll be back in a minute. He goes out to the truck. He comes back in. He says, yeah, you're right. I need some two-by-fours. He says, okay, how long? He thinks again for me. He says, hold on, I have to go check on that too. He goes out to the truck. He comes back in and he says, well, we're going to need them for a pretty long time. We're building a house. <laughs> now, as you... Think about those two guys. Would you want those two guys to be the two building your house? Tonight, we're talking especially about building the Lord's house, but also as the theme for today as we think about families. You know, the Lord wants to build our families individually, but also, of course, the Lord wants to build His family, the church. And so some of the principles that we'll talk about can be applied either way. The book of Hebrews is a tremendous study. When you look in the book of Hebrews, you don't have to read very long to realize that what is being esteemed here is Moses. But what is even of greater estimation is Christ. Moses was good, but Christ is better. As a matter of fact, Christ is supreme. The old law was good, but the new law is much better. Now, as we lay out these first two verses we see that one thing that the Hebrew writer says that's so positive about both, Jesus Christ and Moses, is that they both were so faithful. 
That's going to be the big point that we're going to look at tonight. Now, it'll take us a few introductory remarks to get there as we work our way through the first verse. But then when we get to the second verse, I want us to really give some careful thought about if, if we want the Lord to build this church. And I know we do. It's the Lord's church. It's not our church. We have to realize the importance of faithfulness. If we want the Lord to build our families, we have to realize the importance of faithfulness. Spouses to each other, parents to children, children to parents. It's so important that we're always loyal and faithful to each other. But let's read verse 1 and 2 and then work our way through some things in verse 1. Verse, Hebrews 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all of his house. You see, as he addresses the people that he's writing to here in Hebrews, he gives them some tremendous compliments, but these compliments also reveal to us what we all should be. Did you notice first, he didn't just call them brethren as we so oftentimes read in the Scriptures. Notice he called them holy brethren. We're not holy because of our own doing. All of us are sinners, Romans 3 and 23, and what we deserve because of sin is... Death, Romans 6 and 23. But you see, we also learn in Romans 6 and 23 that there's been a gift given to us of Jesus Christ through God. And so we find our holiness because God has redeemed us of our sins and because we have chosen then to live as a new creature. We're striving our best to live as people that have repented. We're striving to be separated from the world. We've been justified and we want to sanctify ourselves, set ourselves apart from the world. And so as I think about him writing here to talk about some things about a faithful family, I need to ask myself, am I holy? Remember, the plea is made to us to be holy for he is holy. Let's make sure that we understand the importance that we're not like the world. We are to live a much higher calling. Now that leads us to a second explanation there. Notice he speaks of the heavenly calling. Now, I need to ask myself another question. Am I a partaker of the heavenly calling? Well, what is the heavenly calling? Drop back, if you will, Ephesians, the fourth chapter. And we don't have a screen on this, but Ephesians, the fourth chapter, I'm reminded of what Paul writes when he's writing this tremendous paragraph here about the church and about the unity that is to exist. In Ephesians 4 and 1, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. He's begging them, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Now that really is a challenge that you and I cannot perfectly fulfill on this earth. To walk worthy of the calling of which we were called. What's the calling that we were called? We're called to live for Jesus Christ. We're called to live a life that has only been offered to us because of the price that's been paid. Now, when I said we really can't live up to it fully, notice it said walk worthy of the calling. What did it cost for you to be saved? Jesus Christ had to die. Now, can you live a life that it is worthy of that? Not in the sense that we will ever merit it. Not in the sense that we'll ever deserve it. But by God's grace that's been offered to us, we can decide to live a life that reaches out to that calling. In other words, we can live a life that responds to that calling. And that's what Paul is referring to here in Ephesians 4. And that's really what the Hebrew writer is referring to. Let's be people 
that are partakers of that calling. It's been offered to us to live a life that's higher than the earthly living. Let's step up to that calling. Let's be a partaker of it. But notice that third thing in verse 1. He says, consider, and then he describes Jesus as an apostle and a high priest. So he says, consider the apostle, the high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. So really, when you take all of that and boil it down, what he's saying is, I also want you to consider Christ. We're holy brethren. We're partakers of the high calling. And how do we do all that? We keep our focus on Jesus Christ. The word consider is interesting when we look at it out of the Latin. It comes from two words. One real short word, con. The, the Latin there would tell us a meaning with. And then the sitter part would mean stars and constellation. You see, it literally is the idea of being out with the stars at night and studying the stars and seeing constellation. In other words, it's, a constant, it's the idea of a constant gazing into the stars. Have you ever noticed at night when, when someone just starts looking up in the sky, other people will look with them? You ever notice that? Have you ever pulled that game? That's a good one to pull. Get two or three people out and just start looking. And you'll notice if you're in a crowd, other people will just start looking up. Well, what are we supposed to be doing? Ours isn't foolishness. Ours is serious. What are we doing? We're studying, just as someone would gaze at the stars, we're studying Jesus. We're considering Jesus. Well, as we have our continual gaze upon Jesus, what are we supposed to see? He says, I want you to see him as an apostle. This is the only time in the Bible that Jesus is described as an apostle. One that is sent forth to bear a message. Now, there's no wonder that Jesus is described like that. John 1 describes him in that way, except using a different word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Then the Word was God. And so we see that Jesus, number one, as we gaze upon him, we need to gaze upon one that has a message. I need to make sure that I'm constantly considering what is the message of Jesus. But secondly, we gaze upon him as a high priest. Remember, only the high priest could go into the most holy place and make an atonement for the sins of the people once a year. Jesus was the ultimate high priest that walked in once and for all. He not only made the sacrifice, He was the sacrifice once and for all. And so we gaze upon Him, looking to His Word to direct our life, but also appreciating the fact that it's only through Him that we can have salvation. Acts 4 and 12, there's no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. And so it is, we gaze upon Him and we consider that. Now that's some introductory remarks of who we ought to be if we're going to be God's family. But now let's think about this faithfulness. Moses is given a compliment here for his faithfulness. Jesus Christ in verse 2 is given a compliment for their faithfulness. Notice again in 2, who was faithful to Him who appointed Him, as Moses also was faithful in all of his household. If I were to ask you right now, just get out a pen and paper and write down a definition of faithfulness. What would you write? For a minute. How would you define faithfulness? To you what, as I thought about this, as I was studying this this week, what I first would have written down wouldn't be exactly what we're about to study tonight. As a matter of fact, as I was doing this, I thought, you know, there's something big to the aspect of faithfulness here, how it's the first point about what Moses was and what Jesus was. I thought, you know, I want to back up and I want to see how the New Testament begins as it speaks of faithfulness. 
Let's just look at the first few times that faithfulness is used in the Scriptures. And not to say this is the only way it can be interpreted, but it sure opens the eyes of at least one way to interpret faithfulness. Look, if you will, to Matthew, the 24th chapter. Matthew, the 24th chapter. What can we do to build a faithful family? What can we do to be a faithful church family? Matthew, the 24th chapter, as you're turning there, I'm going to begin mentioning some verses out of 36, and then in a moment we're going to read some verses. In 36, he's talking about the second coming of Jesus, and he says, Of that day and hour no one knows. And then even in 42, Because of that we watch therefore, for you do not know what the hour your Lord is coming. And in 43, he mentions it's like a thief that would come into the night. And so 44, therefore, you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at any hour you do not expect. Now, I want to give you a hint. That verse right there, we really gave a definition of faithfulness. Like I say, I wouldn't have thought about it that exactly that simple. But right there when he said, be ready, that's the idea of faithfulness as we see it used the first few times in the New Testament. Let's use here, 45. Coming right out of 44, talking about the second coming of Jesus, and nobody knows when it is, so we need to be ready. 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. And then the next several verses writes about the foolish one who is unfaithful, and so when the master is gone, he doesn't do the things that prepares for the return of the master. And so he's caught off guard, and he's unfaithful. So just in a nutshell, how would you define faithfulness from this scripture, from the verses that lead up to it, the verse itself, and the verses that follow? Faithfulness is someone that today, they're ready for Jesus' return. Let's look at the next time it's used in the New Testament. Look at the 25th chapter. Look at 21 and 22. You remember the story of the talents, the five talent, and the two talent, and the one talent? We're going to pick up in the middle of that where uh, each of the first, uh, the five and the two, they did very well. Listen to 21. Now this again is when the master returns. And this is, of course, symbolic of when the second coming is and the master comes again. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And then he speaks to the one with two talents. And then in 23 he says, His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Now, as you're turning to Luke 16, be listening as we, we kind of describe these two verses that we've already read. As Be turning to Luke 16. Think about it. He gives a view of the second coming, but he says, hey, remember that what I'm doing is I'm giving to each of you talents. And what I'm doing is when I come again, I want you to be ready for my return. That's faithful. Well, what does it mean to be ready? We've taken what God has given us and we have used it to prosper His kingdom. Now, we're thinking about families. I want to be faithful in my family. Mothers and fathers, how have you used raising your children to prosper the kingdom? How have each of us taken the, the abilities that we have and we have used those abilities 
to work in the kingdom. And it's not that we do it once. It's that we do it day in and day out. Because the day the Lord returns, we must be faithful that day or we're considered unfaithful. So that was the whole point of 24 and 25. It's not to, to chalk one up and say, well, I did that once in my life. It's to say, when He returns, will you be found faithful on that day? Literally living each day in view of the fact, I'm ready for Jesus to come back right now. Personally, as a father and as a husband, can I say the responsibility God has given me, I'm ready for the Lord to return today. If I can say that, I'm faithful in that responsibility. As a member of the Lord's body here at Mount Juliet, the way I, I, I have loved one another, the way I've submitted to elders, the way we, we've reached out and served in various ministries together, can I say, I'm ready for the Lord's return right now? If so, I've been faithful in the life of this congregation. Well, let's see it again as we look to Luke the 16th chapter. In Luke the 16th chapter, we have the story of the unjust steward, the one that dealt shrewdly. And that's a wonderful story to study also. But we're coming in at the close when it's being wrapped up, the description of it. And let's read 10, 11, and 12. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. So the simple principle there is it doesn't matter how big or how little things seem to us, God wants us to be faithful even in the little. And the larger things will take care of themselves. Now let's see another principle in 11. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Now this is an interesting concept of stewardship. Sometimes we say, well, that's just not a spiritual issue. And what does the Lord say in this verse? I want you to be faithful in the things that you may not think are spiritual. Because if you can't be faithful in the things that you may not think are spiritual, how could you ever be trusted in the things of great value? Literally, the Lord is saying, I want you to be faithful. I want you to be good stewards with everything I give you. We can even think about time, our personal time, and, and all of our possessions as we think about this. Look at verse 12. We see another teaching. If you have not been faithful... And what is another man's? Who will give you what is your own? You realize that everything you and I own right now, we don't really own it. We're really only stewards of God. The day you and I have enjoyed up to this hour is a gift from God. It's not my day and it's not your day. It's a gift that God has given us. The health that you and I have to be here. In a sense, it's not really our health. In a sense, it's just God's lent us the health. And we're stewards of it. Our abilities. And so God is saying, you want an eternal rest? You want an eternal home? If you can't be faithful with what is someone else's, how can you be entrusted with, with your own? You see, the point in each of these each time is that faithfulness goes back to being ready to be judged. Now, I know that's not a popular way to preach here in 2007. 
You know, a lot of people would say, Preacher, I, I want to hear a lot more about love. Don't, don't give me the threat of a judgment day. Friends, it's, it's not a threat of judgment day. It's just the way the Lord, when He said, I want you to understand faithfulness, the great test of faithfulness is, are you ready for judgment day? That's the greatest test. So now let's go back again to Hebrews, the third chapter. As we go to Hebrews, the third chapter, I want us to skip down now and read verse 6, especially for the very last phrase as we think about still this idea of faithfulness. Look at verse 6 as he says, But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope, firm to the end. So he starts out this paragraph saying, let's talk about faithfulness. One reason why you have to esteem Jesus Christ. He's so faithful. This is why you have to love Moses. He was so faithful. And you see what he's doing is he's working down these verses to say, now, if you're going to belong to Christ, you have to be faithful. But notice how long it is. All the way to the end. Why? That's the ultimate test of faithfulness. If when Jesus comes again, like a thief in the light, like one that looks and says, I gave you two talents. Did you make four? Let me give you two more. Are we going to be found faithful? Let's see a second point. Number one this evening we see, let's be faithful. Number two, let's let the Lord build it. Let's look to verse 3 and 4. Still here in Hebrews, the third chapter. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone. But he who built all things is God. Jesus deserves the most honor between Jesus and Moses. Moses dwelt in his house. Jesus built the house. We're living in Jesus' house right now. Colossians 1 and 18 tells us Christ is the head, the church, and the body is his church. So we're part of the Lord's house. Why do we give Him such great honor? He's the builder of His house. But then we see the argument of design. Did you notice that in verse 4? And, and if you're ever uh, talking with someone that, that believes in evolution or, or uh, they're an atheist, and this is literally one of the tremendous arguments to make about the demand for an almighty God because the argument is that of design. If we said right now, this beautiful structure that we're in, it was just the result of a couple of atoms come together and some kind of big bang, and, and uh, then over time it just evolved into this. And of course, I guess almost anyone would look about and say, no, there's design. It's obvious that there is design in this structure. And where there is design, there must be a designer. Psalms... 14.1 says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. But in 29.1, he says, the heavens declare his majesty. You see, a fool looks at that which has so much design and says, there is no designer. But you and I can walk out and we can stare at the stars. We can look at our universe. We can see the seasons come and go. And it declares there is a God just because of design. And so that's what's powerful when we read that in uh, verse 4. Every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. 
Since we're talking especially today about families, I want to remind you of a verse. Drop back in your Bible to Psalms 127 and verse 1. Psalms 127 and verse 1. We have a beautiful passage out of Psalms that reminds us of what we can do to be a part of strong families. And it's when we literally, through our faithfulness to God, submit it all to Him and say, God, you build the house. Look at Psalms 127 and 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. God's plan for building our homes goes all the way back to Genesis 2 where He wants children to be born into a family of a husband and a wife. The fastest growing trend in America today among families is that one out of three children born are born to never married women. And that's not a throw-off on women because there's a man involved in every one of those statistics. It's just an idea of how warped our mindset is where in America we're literally experiencing people saying by their actions, I don't want God to build my house. I want to build my house my way. Forget God as my foundation. Forget God as my blueprint. I want to do it my way. And friends, you know that we could spend an entire series then talking about the design and the blessing and the instruction that God gives about the family. But I need to realize that when I submit to God in every aspect of my home, the way I talk, the way I dream, the deepest desires, the the greatest convictions, when we look at all of that and turn it completely over to God, that's how we let God build our house is by going back and allowing His Word to reign in our life. Let's go back now to Hebrews, the third chapter. And let's look at verse 6 as we see the third point, And that is, there has to be endurance. Look again. We just read it. We'll read it again and then close. Look at verse 6. We've seen so far we have to be faithful if families are to be what God's designed them to be. We have to allow Him to build them. But look at verse 6. Christ as a son over His own house, whose house we are. Now notice this word. If, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end, there has to be that endurance. There has to be that holding fast. Hold fast to that that we can be confident in. That's a big topic in the book of Hebrews because Jesus died for us. We can enter into the most holies now with confidence. Look what He's done for us. It's in that that we can rejoice. We don't have to fear the second coming. We can pray, Lord, come quickly. And we can live that confident, rejoicing, faithful life, holding fast to the end. And that will be the best day of our life. When we leave this earth, having lived our last day, faithful to God. You want to give your family a blessing? Now you may think this is morbid. Friend, this isn't morbid at all. This is beautiful. You want to give your family a blessing? When it's your time to die, you have lived your life in such a faithful way 
that when they leave the cemetery driving back home, they may be crying because they miss you on earth, but they're rejoicing because they know you've lived for God in confidence and rejoicing, and you did that in a faithful way to the very end. That's a gift that every family deserves. And what a gift. What a gift. We'll end with where we started. Faithful, faithfulness means I'm ready for Jesus to return. Tonight, if you can't say that now, make sure that before we close this service that you can say that. If you've never been baptized into Christ, won't you do that this evening and be ready for Jesus' return? Be faithful. Maybe you have, have uh, been faithful at one time and you've lost the way. You've lost the faith. And you want to come back so that you can be firm to the end. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.